Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Thank you, Chris and Natalie. Aren't they awesome? God's got good things in store for these two. Man, I uh, am just really grateful. I often tell people that I have the privilege of pastoring the best church in the world. And, uh, and we have just quite a phenomenal staff. Um, you guys, in fact, our team is quite legendary. I was talking to uh, a pastor at a church uh, on the other side of Austin, and they're like, man, we we're just talking about how loaded your team is. And we just have a phenomenal team. And it's actually way bigger than our staff. God just keeps just bringing people our way um, that are such a gift, that are powerhouses in the kingdom. And I am pumped for what's ahead for Sozo Church. I think our best days are ahead of us. I think God is, uh, he's doing something that is like this disproportional concentration of powerhouses. And I believe this, that God wants to do something in our city, in our region, that becomes a blessing to the nations. And uh, we were just, uh, or I, I, I often think about the geography of San Marcos in particular, and we have uh, what's called Aquarina Springs. Anybody ever done the glass bottom boat tour? And uh, if you go, what you'll find is that there's all of these springs. Well, uh, probably 50, 60, 70 years ago, there was a hotel there. They had actually dammed up the river that was flowing out. Um, but before that was dammed up, I wasn't around for it, but what I understand is those springs are so powerful that they would throw boulders into the air. And, and uh, now um, archaeology is beginning to, to prove over and over again uh, that in fact, San Marcos is the, the longest continually inhabited place in North America because those springs have never run dry. Isn't that incredible? And I think that's actually a picture of what God wants to do in Sozo Church, that he wants to establish something that launches people into life, into the flow of the kingdom, and that as we begin to flow, that we would actually, like the San Marcos River does, that we would flow into the ocean, into the nations, and that we would be a blessing to the world. I believe this, that it's actually God's heart to bless you. And I think also that you're not here on accident that God is actually has you here, and it may just be for a season, but he's going to, not because of how great we are by any stretch of the imagination, but because of who he is and what he's doing, he's going to deposit some things in you that are going to be a blessing to the nations. And I, I think this, that God, he really likes you. He really likes you. Some of you have been wondering, like, he tolerates me, maybe I'm like the bad kid in the family. No, he really, he's crazy about you. And he really loves you. And he's got incredible things in store for you. And I, and I think he wants to do something. I also think, like, that's true individually. But collectively, I think he really likes us. I think he really, really likes us. And that he is for us and has just absolutely incredible things in store for us. Um, one of the things that um, we're confident of as a church family, and how many of you know sometimes it takes Faith to become who God has called you to be when there's no evidence that you are that yet, right? 
Like, so when we started the church, that picture, eight years ago, that picture of the springs was a prophetic picture for me of what God was going to do. There were eight of us sitting on a back porch, right? And I, but I knew like in me that God wanted to, to do something in us that would be a blessing to the nations. And so a few years back, we started saying, okay, well, let's take that seriously. And one of the things we did is started dreaming up, okay, what does it look like for us to begin to partner with people and to plant churches in the nations? And one of the things, here's, here's this is a principle, it's a kingdom principle that I want you to grab a hold of, um, but we see it also for us, not just individually, but collectively. When we agree with who God says us to be, apart from the evidence externally that we are it, he begins to work that in us and through us. So we said, hey, we wanna be a church that plants churches in the nations that become what we would call apostolic hubs, like these sending places that bring transformation to uh, cities and regions and nations. As soon as we said what I believe God, or as soon as we agreed with what I believe God was always saying over us, he started sending people our way. And so um, within a matter of months, I went to a, a lunch um, that my good friend Pam, is Pam here? She's gotta be here because there's great food in the back. By the way, Pam provides food for our worship team and production team in the morning, and it's so good. The reason why they provide such good worship for us to feast on is because Pam provides a phenomenal feast. And so if you wanna join Pam's team, Pam, would you stand up actually? If you wanna join Pam's team on providing food for the worship production team on a Sunday morning, go talk to Pam. She could use some help. Um, I'm not even into the message yet, so just bear with me. Um, and so then Pam invited us to lunch uh, with a, a leader from Burundi. Say Burundi. Burundi. Burundi is the poorest nation in the world. And uh, this is a, a, a man that, and, and his wife uh, that she had been with partnering doing ministry uh, for, at that point, over a decade. And uh, she invited us to lunch. I, quite honestly, have been to Africa a handful of times. I'm scared of ministry in Africa because of what the West has done to the African church. Um, and, and we've just thrown money at problems and it hasn't solved them, it's created them. And so finding trustworthy people to partner with is difficult. But at that lunch, God just knit our hearts together. Steve and I were there, Tom and Brenda, a few others. And it was like, oh my goodness. And Freddie told us um, that he was actually making a move from education into planting uh, churches. And it was like, that's exactly what God was doing. And he just knit our hearts together. And so we got to go. Uh, he came again and just said, hey, I actually want to plant a Sozo church in Burundi. He's networked with people all over the world. And he said, there's something here that I, want, that I see that I wanna be in on and partnered with and receive from. And so uh, I said, I don't know what that means, um, but let's figure out what that is. And, and uh, so... As we walked that journey, uh, we became really good friends, and God just knit us together with him. Um, and so um, Abundant Life Church in Burundi is now uh, about nine or 10 months old and uh, is growing and doing really well. So we started this series. I'm going to put all this together for you, then we'll jump into the message. So we started this series called Blessed three Sundays ago, and I shared a story of, uh, from 1 Kings 17, you can go back and read it, about Elijah 
and uh, God's provision for him. And God led him to this uh, widow who was basically on her last meal for her and her son. And God led Elijah. And and Elijah said, hey, um, if you basically, you give me what you're about to eat that's going to keep you alive. And um, and then God's going to provide for you. So she did in faith, and there her flower par, flower jar and oil jar never ran dry. They had everything they needed to make it through the drought and and uh, keep going. And so after I shared that story, um, a man on our prayer team came up to me and said, "Actually, I believe that story describes your relationship to Freddie and Burundi, and that if we give first to Freddie and Burundi and what God's doing in that church, then God's going to provide everything that we need for what he's called us to. We're headed into the beginning of the year. We'll begin raising money for a building, um, and we really believe that God's just gonna put all those pieces together, but that we're actually supposed to uh, give first. So uh, our elder team talked about it, prayed about it. We decided that we will, one, uh, give out of our building fund um, we feel like we're supposed to sow into that, but then also invite you um, to give uh, generously towards Abundant Life Church. They need a, a building, um, and it's like $150,000 or so. Is that right, Larry, about one hundred and fifty Without land, yeah, so maybe 200000 So we're just gonna take up a big offering next Sunday and bless them because we know this, that God is gonna bless us, that he's got everything we need, and we're just called to be a conduit of his blessing to the nations, Amen. So next week, this week, ask God what you're supposed to give next week, and we're going to bless the socks off of uh, the Abundant Life Church and Freddie and Mama Joe and Burundi. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the message. Father, you're really good, and we love you, and we thank you that you lead us into life. Lord, as we prepare to give next Sunday, Lord, we ask that you would show us what to give, um, that we would be a blessing really to you. Lord, we invite you to teach us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher this morning. Lord, I thank you that beyond my words, your spirit can instruct us, and so we invite that. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever walked in on your kids doing something quite crazy? The other day, I walked into, uh, like in our kitchen area, there's like a little desk place, and my kids have a, a little table, little white table that's I don't know, 24 inches off the ground. And my daughter decided that she needed something up in the cabinet. So she was stacking a chair on top of the table. And I came up there. She had like one foot on the table, one foot on the chair. I said, sweetie, don't, don't do that. That's not gonna go well. And thank God that I came to the rescue and, and was able to help her. Well, then... Uh, Fast forward to this last week, and I'm downstairs, and I hear a terrible scream coming from upstairs. The same daughter. Um, Her initials are Evelyn, um, for the sake of anonymity, um, had taken her sister's desk chair and stuck it in the closet and was trying to reach something again on the top shelf, and Somehow the chair had slipped and she had rammed her knee into the wall and was stuck under like clothes and a chair and all that stuff on top of her. And my father's heart was thinking, man, all you had to do is come ask. 
and I'd love to help you. You're not on your own. I think so many times, and it's way bigger than just our finances, but our self-reliance gets us into all sorts of messes that if we would just talk to Papa God, if we would invite him into it, then what he would do is father us and he'd say, hey. So one of our great fears is that whatever it is that we want off the top shelf or all in that cabinet is that he doesn't want it for us. Is that somehow he's withholding for us, he just wants us to barely make it by. And we miss the opportunity to experience the Father's heart because we are often afraid that he's not good. And I think that it has greatly impaired our spiritual lives, the church, our finances, because we often act as if we were orphans. All the while, we have a good Father in heaven who is near and present and wants really good for us and is just asking that we would participate with him and his heart for us so that he could bless us. You know, we, as a church family, believe this, that we are called to live firmly in the new covenant. Say new covenant. And so oftentimes, I think what religion has done has blended the old covenant and the new covenant, right? And we have, when we don't know what to do, and often when church leaders are afraid, they love to talk about grace, but they keep the law in their back pocket in case they need to whip somebody into line. Have you experienced that? It's like somehow we'll we'll say, hey, we're new covenant people, but then we just pull a little law out when we need to get somebody to behave. And for us as a church, as a leadership team, we have been, uh, I think for eight years, trying to figure out, trying to discern, probably a better way to say it, uh, God and the tithe. Tell your neighbor tithe. Everybody's favorite word in church. And so the question that I hope to answer for you this morning has to do with the tithe. Now tithe, I thought for most of my life, in fact, until I started preparing and digging in for this series, I thought the tithe simply meant 10%. That's not actually what it means. It means the first 10%. Tell your neighbor first fruits. And so I had a misunderstanding on the tithe. And then I had a misunderstanding of what it was and if it was still for today. Now here's the interesting thing about the law and the tithe. The law actually has three tithes. Tell your neighbor three tithes. That's not 10%, that's three times 10, that's 30%. And in the Old Covenant, which is not all of the Old Testament, it's from when Moses received the law, 
at Sinai forward until the cross of Jesus. They had three tithes. The first, ten, the first tithe, the first 10%, is to the house of the Lord. We see that in Exodus 23, 19. It's for the Levites and the priests to serve the temple and to serve the people. But then they also had a 10% tithe for feasts. And basically what that was, was that when there was a feast in Jerusalem, they were supposed to set aside the second 10% in order to get their family to the feast in order to celebrate it. And then there was a third tithe, a third 10%, and that was for the poor. It was for orphans, widows, for aliens, and I love this. It was for proselytes. And what they recognized is this. I have some friends, in fact, one of my really good friends who's in ministry today in a church in Austin. He'd be a spiritual son to me. He grew up Muslim and gave his life to Jesus in high school, didn't tell anybody about it, including his family, until college. And it, like at first, his, his uh, uncle is an imam, and at first, we were concerned for his life. Now, he became an engineer, gave that up to become a pastor. But there are folks like that that just need some extra support. He didn't get cut off from his family. His family uh, is really awesome and we're just seeing God work in them. But he didn't get cut off from them. But oftentimes when people give their lives to Jesus, it means they're cut off from their support. And so that was built into uh, the law. I think it's actually still a good principle for today. And so that's what tithing under the law was. It was actually 30%. How many of you know that there is no life in the law? But how many of you know that God actually is a God of life? He desires life for us. So there's no life in the law, but let me say this about the law. The law is the word Torah. Say Torah. And Torah means the way. So often what you find inside of the law is the way that we should live. So we don't just say, oh, none of that applies anymore. Now that guy that I was talking about that converted from Islam to, to following Jesus, the first thing he did was he went and got a pepperoni pizza because he could now eat pork. <laughs> so how many of you like bacon? It's like, hey, thank God that we're not under the law, right? But what we find is that there are principles that we find in the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament that actually point us to life, that don't take it. Now, here's the problem when it comes to the idea of the tithe. Most often, the tithe is presented in the New Covenant church, which all church is intended by God to be New Covenant, the tithe is presented as a law and it comes full of curses. I've heard lots of pastors curse their people as they teach on the tithe. They're not inviting them into life, they're just inviting them to get out of death. And there's a huge difference between the two. So, we, we see the principle of the tithe. We see this when Abraham runs into Melchizedek. 
Now, we don't exactly know who Melchizedek is. He is, at the very least, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Some would even say that it was actually Jesus in Abraham's day. But he actually gives him a tithe. But it actually goes further back than that. Go with me to Genesis 4. I may answer a question for you here that you've had for a long time. Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. That's not the question. I wasn't going to answer how babies are made. You can figure that out another time. She said, with the help of the Lord, I, gave, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to another son, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from the firstborn. Say firstborn. Firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked at favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you would do what is right, say right. You will, uh, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, most of the time that I've heard this passage, it was presented to me as if God was on the carnivore diet. That he just, meat was good for him, but he just didn't like his fruits and veggies. And what I missed was this line here, from the firstborn of his flock. See, the, the kingdom principle here is giving your first fruits to God. Why? Well, because if I give my last fruits to God, it doesn't take any faith. And you see, it's faith that pleases God. So if I give my first to him, I don't know what's coming next. So the, the, the principle here is not how do I pay a tax to God? You see, the church has presented the idea of the tithe and first fruits as if it were a church tax that you have to pay. How many of you are already sick of paying taxes? That's not what it's talking about. It's actually talking about by faith, giving God your first and your best, and in doing so, you enter into partnership with God. So the principle isn't, let me see what I have left over and then give out of my abundance, but instead it's like the widow, it's like Elijah and the widow of Zarephath and giving and trusting God with the rest. That is significantly different. And so, a lot of times, we miss the invitation that God is giving us 
to trust him with our finances. See, last week we read it, I won't read the whole thing, we read in Matthew chapter six, starting in 19, verse, or through verse 34, it's talking about not worrying about your finances, God takes care of you, he takes care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, and he's going to take care of you, so seek first the kingdom. Now let me say this to you, you'll never find a place in the New Testament that explicitly says that you are supposed to tithe. I have a pretty decent argument, although I don't really care to argue with you, on why that's still a principle that Jesus blesses. In Matthew chapter 23, he's getting on to the Pharisees about their giving. He says, you're doing what's right by tithing from everything. They were going to their little gardens and taking the dill and the spices and all of that stuff and even bringing that. He's saying, what you're doing is right. And in that, if Jesus was saying, what you're doing is right for now, but there's a day coming when you don't have to do that, typically that's the way Jesus would treat something that is about to be done with. So I actually think that he's blessing that, but I think beyond that, the principle still stands. And the principle is this, that I give of my first fruits to God. Now, most people that argue about the tithe are not arguing, can I give more? Right? It's like, is the tithe for today or not? Because I really wanna give more, but I feel really limited. Right? And when we begin to think about Can I afford to give 10%? I'd like to ask you a totally different question. Can you afford not to? And beyond that, can you afford not to invite God into partnership with you and your finances? Because what he's doing, you're with me, Glenn, aren't you? What you're doing is you're saying, God, I trust you and I wanna be partnered with you. all of this is yours. I'm not giving you something that isn't yours. I'm giving you back what was always yours. And I'm inviting you to be my partner. Now, here's what some people teach, and it, it actually logically doesn't hold up. Some people will say, well, if you don't give God 10%, or if you give God 10%, then you're going to always have enough, and you're gonna have abundance, and if you don't, then you won't have enough. That's, that's actually not the principle. One, it's, it's an act of worship. Two, here's, here's, I think, the key. It's saying, you see, let me explain it this way. Some of you are good. You've got the ability to make lots of money all on your own. Others of us, maybe not so much. So I know people that have made a lot of money and God's not in it, okay? So we don't spiritualize, oh, they've got a lot of money, they must be blessed from God. Instead, what we say is, you know what, or what I say is this, I would rather be blessed than good. 
It's not about my self-reliance and my ability to make income. In fact, God said to me, sharp rebuke in the middle of the night in April. He said, Joel, you're taking credit for manna. And what he was saying to me, see, manna is something that God provides. And everything I have is, is his, is from him. And in my own journey and wrestle with pride and self-reliance, what he was correcting in me was the idea that somehow I was on my own. And, and you see, we, we love to be on our own when we can take the credit. And we hate to be on our own when we take the fall. Right? And so the invitation of the principle of first fruits is to say, you know what? I'm not interested in what I can do on my own. I'm inviting God into my journey as a covenant partner. So back to Matthew 6, when Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. What he was doing was reiterating all of that context. Jesus, or the scriptures talk about finances about 2,000 times, about twice as much as it talks about prayer. What Jesus was doing was reinforcing the whole idea of first fruits. When you prioritize what's first, everything else falls into line. And so, the principle is that I give first, but I still have a problem there. Often, I can give first and it not change my heart. I can give first and I can still see God in the offering plate as if it were some sort of tax man. Instead of recognize that in my giving first, It's actually an invitation to partner, for God to partner with me. What I'm saying is, God, I give this to you now. I'm trusting you with all the rest, all of it. And so it's not about what I can earn. It's about your goodness, your blessing being revealed in my life and through my life. Go with me to Proverbs chapter three. I don't think this will be on the screen behind you. Most of us quote five and six. I think six is often, or seven, six, six is often misunderstood. It says, okay, start in verse four. Nope, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Say understanding. understanding. The word understanding has nothing to do with knowledge. And it's not, you've heard me say this before, it's not, let's see, trust on your own understanding in all your ways, let me, Make this point. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. 
or in all your ways, no, the, the actual, the word is acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That word acknowledge is not the football player who scores a touchdown and points up to God to acknowledge him. The, the Hebrew word there is the word yada, and it means to be intimate with him. You see, this verse is actually trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Sorry, I, I misinterpreted that word understanding. I was talking about uh, the word acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him or submit to him and he will make your path straight. See, the, the invitation is to be intimate with God in all that you do. So intimacy with God is not reserved to church. It's not reserved to your prayer time. It's not reserved to your drive time with your worship music on. Intimacy with God is in all that you do. It's in discovering new inventions. It's in solving problems. It's in raising your kids. It's in your study. It's in every bit that you do that we are intimate with God. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. Here's the concept. We give our first fruits to God and then we watch what he can do in all of it. Because why? God's a good father and it's his heart to bless you. If I don't honor God with my body, a temple of the Holy Spirit, if I don't take my health seriously and submit that to him, but I just do it all on my own, my expectation is not that he would bless my health. Why? Because I've removed my health from his covering and leadership. If in raising my kids, I don't invite God into that, does it mean that he doesn't want to bless me? No. It means that I've actually withdrawn that area of my life from the blessing of God. That's the principle of first fruits. It's that I give it to him as a, a, a prophetic act that all of it is his. And so I'm inviting his blessing on the whole by offering the first. You with me? Go with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse six, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously. What does that teach you that you probably should do? Sow generously, okay. Y'all are maybe catching it. I heard David in the back, he's got it. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. 
not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, the actual word there is hilarion, a hilarious giver. Here's what a lot of teaching on the tithe has done. Is it's caused people to give under compulsion. And so the invitation has been to the law instead of to life. Now for some of us, giving of our first fruits, that tithe, we're gonna have to make a hard adjustment and to give cheerfully and not under compulsion. Let's keep reading. It gets better. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, say all, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The concept is this. God's not inviting you to be good, although I think you should hone your crafts and your skills. What God is saying is there's an economy that he has and he actually is inviting us to participate in it so that we can be blessed by him because he wants to bless us. It's actually his heart to bless you. And what he's saying is there's a principle of sowing and reaping and if you participate, then you're allowing him to bless you beyond measure so that you can have everything that you need for what you're called to. Here's what that means, is that lack will not be your reason. It won't be I can't afford to do that, it's that's not what I'm supposed to do. You see, you have an incredible call in your life and your call will take resources. Your call is going to require resources you can't afford to not be blessed. It's God's heart to bless you. What he's saying is, will you participate with my blessing? And not only does God want to bless you, he wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to be a blessing to the church. He wants you to be a blessing to nations. He wants it to be true that your life caused the kingdom of God to be thrust forward. Imagine with me that there was a wealthy businessman and he had three managers that he left in charge of his business while he moved to a new territory to establish business. He was moving overseas and so he made sure that each of his business owners our business managers that oversaw different aspects of his business had $100,000 a month in order to execute all that they had to execute. But 
they were also required each to give $10,000 to his wife so that she could have everything that she needed to do what she was called to with life. And so he was entrusting his managers with resources to take care of his bride. Now one got his $100,000 and he thought, hmm, I don't know that she needs all that. So gives her 2,500. The next said, you know what? I'm gonna do what he asked me to do, so cuts her a check for 10,000. They're doing this month on month. And then there's one that's like, you know what? There's a little bit extra. We made more money this month. So what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna bless my boss's wife. I'm gonna give her 20,000 instead of 10. The manager came back. He said, you know what? You, I can't trust you with anything. I asked you to take care of my wife. Instead of giving, you, giving her the 10,000 that she was due, that I had, had advised you to give to her, you instead withheld more than you were supposed to. You're out of here. I'm taking you off the payroll. You're fired. I'm done with you. Goes to the other one that did what he was supposed to do, good job. You're trustworthy. I'll give you more. The one that was giving twice what he was supposed to, the owner said, man, you really took care of my wife, my bride. You saw that she wasn't getting all she was supposed to, and you made up the difference plus some. You saw that my bride was really well taken care of. How many of you know that God's the owner and that the church is his bride? It's actually the heart of God to bless people who want to participate with his heart for his bride. Go with me to Malachi chapter three, Malachi. Chapter three. This is a passage that's often used, it seems, to curse the church. It's not actually God's heart. It says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask me, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and, I, and see if I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, say so much blessing, that there will not be enough room to store it. This is God's heart for you. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will drop their fruit before, uh, will not drop its fruit, their fruit before it's, it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be, delightful, will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It's crucial if we're gonna be a new covenant people that we understand God's heart for us. God's heart is never to curse you. In the new covenant, he's not cursing people. 
Under the old covenant, there were consequences to sin called curses. And it was basically that the hand of God was now against you because you left his way. It's not what it's talking about here. The application for us in the new covenant is not that if you don't give to God, God will curse you. Here's the application. You see, sin inside of the new covenant has inbuilt consequences. Meaning this, that the curse is found in the sin itself. So God's not cursing you, but what you can get out of this is that I can either go my own way, live under the mammon, the God of mammon, can live under a poverty mentality, poverty spirit, and I can get the consequences from living under those things, or I can have the fruit and the good consequences of living with my financial life submitted to God. And when I do, I begin to participate with the very heart of God, which is to bless me. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all getting Rolls Royces, all right? But it does mean this, that God wants you to have everything that you need for what you're called to. He actually wants to bless you. And so what, what you can get out of this passage in Malachi is is that when, when we give to God, what we find is that we're actually participating with the economy of God and the flow of blessing. And so I can do self-reliance with my finances. And some of you, that's worked out quite well. You're doing fine. But you've missed the blessing of God. And what if all the skill set that was already from God, all the opportunity that was already from God, what if all of that then had the blessing of God on top of it? What could happen? You see, what God wants to do is he is inviting us to participate with him. He's actually looking for partners. And get this, he wants to be a 10% partner with you. And he'll do all the heavy lifting. That's a pretty good partner. So you can come up with all sorts of reasons why a tithe is a bad idea, why it doesn't apply to me, all of those things. but I think there's a biblical principle that we need to pay close attention to. That God actually wants to father us. He wants to bless us. He wants us not to be the ones that are trying to figure it all out and doing self-reliance and stacking chairs on top of tables to reach what we could barely reach and fall and cry and all of that stuff. But instead, he wants to bless us. And what he's saying is, would you trust me? It's a faith issue. Would you trust me with your first and watch me take way better care of you than you could ever take of yourself. And it's my heart that God would bless you. And it's also my heart that God would use you to be a blessing to the nations. That the legacy that you leave is way more than finances. That when we get to heaven, we get to celebrate. Man, look at what God did in Burundi because we were a faithful and generous people. 
Look at what God did in Japan because we were a faithful and generous people. Look at what God did in Central Texas because we were a faithful and generous people. Look at what God did in Mexico and in the Middle East and throughout Europe because we were a faithful and generous people. Would you stand with me? I'm going to have the ministry team come forward. I think there are some here that if you were to be real honest, it just feels like you're stuck under a financial curse. As much money as you make, you can't seem to make enough. And it's just been hard. It's been difficult. I believe this, that God wants to break that. Do you think there's an act of obedience in giving? But I would just want to pray. Some of you have just been cursed by pastors that are probably well-meaning and just cursed you in your finances because they didn't know what else to do because they were afraid for their church's finances or whatever else. I believe God wants to lift that off of you. Um, it's, it's regular that we see people healed. In fact, somebody came up to me, Hannah came up to me earlier and said, hey, I, I feel like I've got a word of knowledge that God wants to heal somebody's shoulder. Like right in here, there's a sharp pain that's kind of shooting throughout your arm. What was the other one, Hannah? Shortness of breath. You're just having trouble catching your breath. Um, and so if that's you, come see Ty and Hannah there. They would love to pray for you. But it's just normal that we see people healed. And so I, I just encourage you, if you're struggling, whether it's chronic illness uh, or something acute that you would come and receive prayer. Um, and you may be here and you need to, to give your life to Jesus. You've never made that decision like, Jesus, I'm all in with you. So I would encourage you to let these folks walk with you into that decision. They would love to pray with you. Yes, sir. Anybody know a John and Amy Schuler? Come see John Wallace here. John and Amy Schuler. If you know them, you don't have to be them. If you, if you are them, that's fine. But if you know them, come see John and Suzanne. Father, you're really good. Lord, thank you that you're fathering us, even now, Lord, that you're prompting us, that you're leading us into life. Lord, I just break every curse over your people. Over our finances, over our health, Thank you, God, that you give life. You don't curse, you give life. So I bless Sozo Church with life that overflows, with joy that overflows. In Jesus' name, amen.